We last left Solomon having defeated the demon Orneas, as he was bound by the signet ring given to him by Archangel Michael. We saw Orneas reveal to Solomon some secrets about his demonic life, and some of the wicked things he does in his quest to deceive men. But after seeking counsel from the Archangel Uriel about what to do with this pesky little demon, Archangel Uriel sees Orneas cutting the stones in use for Solomon's temple. But furthermore, we also see Orneas commanded to bring forth to Solomon the leader of all demons, the one known as Beelzebub, so that like Orneas, he too can be interrogated. In order to facilitate this, Orneas is given the signet ring, and it is Orneas who goes to find Beelzebub, seeking to bring him back to Solomon. Here we essentially see what a little weasel Orneas is, in that he totally betrays his own kind after being defeated by Solomon. It's also true that Solomon, with the aid of Archangel Uriel, must have truly broken the spirit of Orneas, for he is no longer bound by the ring, but still obeys Solomon's orders. And not just any orders either, but the orders to ensnare and haul the leader of all demons in Beelzebub to suffer the exact same fate. In this, Orneas is more scared of Solomon than he is of Beelzebub, going as far as to use the same ring that trapped him on what might have been seen as his master. He tells Beelzebub, Hither, Solomon calls thee, again showing us that Orneas is truly docile to Solomon as he makes demands of Beelzebub. But Beelzebub is of course reluctant, saying, Tell me, who is this Solomon of whom thou speakest to me? But instead of actually giving him an answer, Orneas actually throws the ring at Beelzebub and binds him. He subjects Beelzebub to the exact same experience that he had been put through and proceeds to lead him back to Solomon. Solomon then tells us, And when I saw the prince of demons, I glorified the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, and I said, Blessed art thou, Lord God Almighty, who hast given to Solomon thy servant wisdom, the accessor of the wise, and has subjected unto me all the power of the devil. He proceeds to interrogate Beelzebub in the same way he did to Orneas, asking, Who art thou? And the demon replies, I am Beelzebub the exarch of the demons, and all the demons have their chief seats close to me, and it is I who make manifest the apparition of each demon. Here we learn more of Beelzebub's rank, in that he is the chief of all other demons. We understand that it is Beelzebub who makes the other demons do his bidding, in that they appear on earth under his command. Solomon then makes Beelzebub promise to bring him all of the unclean spirits, or all of the other demons, so that he may learn of their secrets too, and better understand their kind. In Solomon's quest to better understand the demons, he asks Beelzebub, in a totally not perverted way, Hey, you got any uh, female demons back there? And Beelzebub gives him a sly wink, and says, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Just kidding, he quite innocently asks from a curiosity standpoint if there are any female demons under Beelzebub's employ to which Beelzebub admits that there is. Under Solomon's command, Beelzebub heads off to the underworld and brings back with him the demon Onoscheles. Solomon tells us that Onoscheles had a very pretty shape, and that she had the skin of a fair-hued woman. She was a seductive creature, and even in her position of being brought before Solomon, she tossed her long hair and most certainly made eyes at him, in an attempt to seduce him. In some interpretations, Onoscheles actually had the legs of a mule, and Solomon seems to totally be a leg man 
because he's not fooled in the slightest by her whims. And when she's brought before him, Solomon asks, Tell me, who art thou? And she replies, I am called Onoscalus, a spirit wrought of Saturn, lurking upon the earth. There is a golden cave where I live, but I have a place that ever shifts. It's quite a hard sentence to break down in that the text itself isn't entirely complete here. The use of Onoscalus being a spirit made of Saturn is perhaps one of the more complicated parts to understand. If we're looking at it from an astrological point of view, Saturn represents restrictions and limitations. Saturn is the constrictor of the planets, and serves to bring structure and meaning to the world, in that it provides one with limitations, allowing them to grow within a certain span before reaching the next level. Saturn is also the promoter of self-control, something that a seductive demoness like Onoscalis isn't exactly congruent with. Onoscalis tells us that she was wrought of Saturn, as in, born of it, and so it's possible that her more impulsive side caused her to rebel against this notion, and became something else entirely. The other idea is that Anoscalus is referring to Saturn, the Roman god, the equivalent of course being Cronus from Greek mythology. Cronus was one of the Titans, and also the son of Gaia, one who was tasked with slaying his father Uranus after Uranus imprisoned his children by stuffing them back into Gaia after she'd given birth. Gaia gave Cronus a sickle after he was born, and he was able to castrate Uranus, allowing Gaia's children to be born. But after usurping Uranus, Gaia would predict that Cronus would be overthrown by one of his own sons. As a result of this, Cronus would consume the children born to him from his sister wife, Rhea, thus preventing them from ever overthrowing him. In this, Onoscalus could be alluding in some manner that she was one of these children that was consumed by Cronus or Saturn in this example. We know Zeus would eventually defeat Cronus, causing all of his swallowed children to be born, and while we know these to be the other Olympians, it could be that Onoscalus was amongst them, or that Onoscalus is a representation of one of the Olympians. In any case, this is all a massive stretch, and we may never really understand the true reason as to why Onoscalus is associated with Saturn. From what we do learn though, is that Onoscalus lurks upon the earth, and that she lives in a golden cave. We also learn that her form constantly shifts, implying that like Orneus, she too possesses the ability to shapeshift, which is apparent in her mule legs. She also reveals to us some of her wicked acts upon the earth, saying, At one time I strangle men with a noose, at another I creep up from the nature to the arms, but my most frequent dwelling places are the precipices, caves, ravines, here we learn that she lures men into her clutches and strangles them with a noose. There's also an implication here that Onoscalus tricks men into hanging themselves and could potentially affect them so much that they end up committing suicide. The next line about her creeping up from the nature to the arms is a bit harder to dissect, but some have interpreted it to mean that she appeals first to men by triggering their desire, appealing to the nature of men in being attracted to beautiful women. She then creeps her way into their arms, manipulating them into believing they want her or need her, and from there she is able to do whatever she wants with them. We are also told that she dwells mostly upon high places, caves and streams, and is generally considered an outdoorsy sort of demon. Here we might also say that she creeps out of nature and the great outdoors, and sneaks her way into society and civilization, 
where she works her wicked charms. She goes on to tell us, Oftentimes, however, do I consort with men in the semblance of a woman, and above all with those of dark skin, for they share my star with me, since they it is who privily or openly worship my star, without knowing that they harm themselves, and but whet my appetite for further mischief, for they wish to provide money by means of memory, but I supply a little to those who worship me fairly. So there's quite a lot to absorb from what she tells Solomon here. It is further confirmed that she takes on the form of a beautiful woman in an effort to seduce men, but interestingly, she adds that she prefers those with dark skin. Now it's impossible to really get at what she really means here, but some have understood this to mean that she goes for labourers, those like the men who are building Solomon's temple, because they are out in the sun and the heat all day, and would therefore have more tanned skin. By contrast, those who weren't working out on the temple were possibly higher-ups like Solomon himself, and would be confided to the shade because of their importance. As important men, they were thought to be smarter, and so would have more of a mental defence against one such as Anoscalus. The workers on the other hand were more susceptible, because they were expendable, poor, and probably more inclined to lie with Anoscalus as a result of being stressed out or underappreciated. Of course, it's entirely possible to interpret this as Anoscalus loving dark skin because she loves dark skin, and that white boys need not apply. We also learn that these dark-skinned men share the star with Anoscalus, and that in some way or another, they openly worship her. In the case of the labourers, this could be because they are receptive to her efforts, more reciprocative of her charms, and in this are seen to be worshipping her. In this they portray the word of God, and conform to idealism, and we've seen how much God dislikes this. Onoscalus reveals that in worshipping her, they do not know the harm they cause upon themselves, but she enjoys their worship, and so does not tell them of the perils that await them when it is their turn to be judged. By worshipping her, it only makes her want to do more to gain their affections, and in doing so, only damns their fate more and more. She also tells us that these men provide money by means of memory, or that they think about her so much that to her, she sees this as being paid, or as a reward. To her, when men obsess over her, she finds this rewarding, and probably relishes in the fact that she has won over another man, and also lured him off the righteous path. Interestingly, she also tells us that while she sees her motives as sinister, in that she knows men will be damned for worshipping her, she does reward her minions with a little something here and there. Solomon then questions her about her origins, to which Anoscalus reveals, I was born of a voice, untimely, the so-called echo of a man's ordure, dropping in the wood. This is yet another ambiguous claim from the demon, which doesn't really answer Solomon's question. In fact, it only raises more. She tells us that she was born of a voice in an untimely manner, possibly referring to Beelzebub, in that Beelzebub did earlier reveal that it is he who manifests the demons. But then she further explains that this voice was the echo of a man's excrement being dropped in the woods. Some have thought that Beelzebub manifested Onoscales from the remains of a man's feces that had been dropped in the woods, and that this is a reflection of how disgusting Onoscales actually is. Solomon questions her further, asking which angel it is that frustrates her the most, or which angel she is most affected by, and in the way that Orneus was affected by Uriel, 
Onoskeles appears to be affected by an angel named Joel. However, before this, she actually answers in riddle, saying, He that in thee is reigning. And because Solomon misconstrues this as her taking the piss, he actually has one of his soldiers strike her. We don't get much more information about this angel Joel here, but we see Solomon praise God for the wisdom that he has been brought, before proceeding to command Anoskeles to spin the hemp for the ropes that would go into the making of the temple. Anoskeles seems to certainly demonstrate the same behaviour as a typical succubus, and while she doesn't seek to acquire men's semen to procreate, she does seek to still engage men sexually. We don't normally get to see female demons in much of these old writings, least of all in scripture, but it seems to me that most of these entities use sex as a weapon. It's certainly indicative of a time in which it was written, whereby women were considered shameful, or that some held the belief that women were evil, given the belief that it was Eve who was tempted by the serpent, and Eve who in turn tempted Adam into sin. It's interesting that the demon Onoskeles and the demon Orneus take on the form of women and use the powers of seduction to lure men astray. Whilst it might paint women in a negative light, to be honest, it also highlights men's flaws as well, in that sex and desire seems to be our universal weakness, and that the demons take on the forms of women because they know it is something we cannot say no to. In the next video, we'll be looking at how Solomon is confronted by the demon Asmodeus, as well as seeing what happens to this mouthy demon after he backchats Solomon. The moral of the story, don't mess with Solomon. Until the next time guys.